Luke chapter 18. I know we did it again this week. I know what the bulletin says, but uh, in between services, about led to uh, preach on something else here. So Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse number 1. It says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Uh, give thank you and praise, thanks and praise for your word, Lord. We give thanks and praise for your spirit, Lord, which brings us understanding of your word. Lord, we pray for those who are unable to be here tonight, Lord. We pray for those who are watching through the internet, Lord, and we pray for those who are even here together, Lord, that we will glean from this parable which you delivered unto your disciples. Lord, there is much for us to have here in this text that is fitting for our day and time. Lord, I uh, pray that you'll give me the words to speak, that you'll help my speech and hide me behind the cross. I give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. It is said that the Supreme Court is the highest court of appeals. There are many courts in this land. We know there are many lower courts than the Supreme Court, but there is in this land offered an opportunity that you can take your case to the highest court in the land. Now, when you arrive at the Supreme Court, if your case makes it there, whatever the Supreme Court decides, well, it doesn't matter what the lower court said because the Supreme Court has made the decision and their decision stands. I was speaking to a brother in between services about the corrupt dealings in our land. Uh, the corrupt offices. It, it seems every time you turn around, even in our own judicial system, even in this process, we find more and more corruption. And you know, the more I thought about it, the more it bothered me. The more it bothered me, the more it took up my time, and before long, I was spending an afternoon pondering about the corruption in the land. And then it finally 
hit me through this text, reminding myself of this text that one day, though the, the law of the land and the legalities of the land may say there's nothing corrupt, everything's fine, trust the system, in the end of it all, there's going to be a final court hearing with the highest court in all the land, and that is the supreme court of heaven, and what God will say and what God will judge will be the final ruling of this land. So who am I to sit here and waste time when I know that the court case is already in the registry to be heard by God? This final thing that we see here in Luke chapter 18, this parable that we see that the Lord gives his disciples reminds us that one, God is no crooked judge. God is no unjust judge. But that's not how he starts off Luke chapter 18, letting them know that I am a just judge. He starts off Luke 18, showing them that there are indeed crooked judges in the land. He starts off showing them that there are crooked politicians in the land. There's crooked systems in the land. And the Lord tells the disciples all of this, and he explains to them in these first five verses of Luke 18 about the unfair times in which a widow lived in. And in this parable, we'll see that there are crooked people, but just because there are crooked people, and just because the people in authority are not doing right by what God says, we also are brought to the reality that it does not give us the right to quit just because the system is corrupt. Because he does not want them, as he says in verse 1, to faint. He does not want them to say, to lose heart. And the reality is this. Few things discourage us like this. When we seem to be doing right and bad still wins out. When we're given our all to do good and it seems that evil is prevailing. The Lord knows the frailty of the disciples' heart here in verse 1. Let's see if you can hear it. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He really gives them what the parable is all about before he ever gives them the parable. He, he gives them the meaning and what is the answer to this situation before he even opens this up to them. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. This past Thursday night, my boys were in a basketball game right up here in Clifton. And as they were playing out, they uh, were losing well, we'll say. We'll not get into the scores to prevent weeping. But the deal is, is that they had fallen so far behind that they had uh, basically, so to say, gave up trying. And because they felt like they were still losing, trying hard and still losing, you would say that one man said, it's like they're losing heart because they had fallen so behind. What he meant is that they were weary. They were frustrated that they were trying and that they were losing. Discouragement takes you to a place where you lose heart. Discouragement takes you to a place where you feel like you just want to give up. 
Discouragement takes you to a place where it seems that you want to faint. It brings you to a place where you, so to say, check out of the game and sometimes do not even return. Discouragement is not something new to a believer. It's plagued believers all throughout the ages. You could take time to read of Jeremiah, to read of Moses, to read of Elijah, to read of it all. And the Lord had to remind each and every one of them, you are not alone. This is not the time to be discouraged. I am still ever with you. But it seems that this parable hits home because nothing bothers us more than injustices. When we know we're right, and it seems that it's been treated wrongly. Matter of fact, I guess you could say that we're not even designed to bear injustices, but we're also not designed to overlook injustices. You see, it's hand in hand. We are to recognize it, but we are not to carry it as that we are the answer to the problem. This is not what the Lord was trying to show them here. Matter of fact, Paul told the Galatians not to be weary and well-doing, for in due season they shall reap if they faint not. It's inevitable that every one of us are going to face life-changing moments. Every one of us in life are going to face quitting points in ministry. It's true. You're going to face moments in your ministry where things seem unfair. And things seem like you know you're right, but it didn't turn out the way you should have thought it should have been. We're all facing quitting points. It's not that we won't face quitting points. It's how we handle the quitting points, how we handle these situations. This is the reality of it all. Take this home with you. It does not matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. It doesn't matter the, your deep level of devotion to the Lord. Remember what Paul told those in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest what? Lest he fall. Listen, quitting points in ministry are ever before us. We all face fainting points. And at times it's moral. Where the enticing pleasures of this world woo us and call us and entice us to come into sin and to give up our moral standings. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes our relationships bring us to a place that we're ready to break. It could even be with our own children where we've tried and tried and tried and we've given them the gospel and given them the gospel and yet it seems that they have no interest in the gospel. Things like this relational bring us to a place at times where we feel like we want to break, where we want to fade, where we want to quit, that we've been so faithful. If it's not moral, if it's not relational, then we find ourselves in spiritual discouragement. Where we find ourselves a place to, uh, where we find ourselves in a place of so spiritually discouraged that we faint. That's where the disciples are here. Matter of fact, before the Lord gives them the parable, He gives them the problem and He gives them the answer to the problem. He said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You see, the answer to not fainting is the power of persistent prayer. What keeps us from fainting 
is prayer, period. That's what he says. That men ought always to pray and not faint. This is the alternative. Did you hear the answer in the words of that verse? Prayer is the remedy for discouragement. Prayer is the remedy for discouragement in unfair times. Prayer is the remedy for discouragement in un well, not, not unfair family issues, but in hard family issues and relational issues and moral issues. Prayer is the remedy for this. This is not a recommendation. You can't just accept or reject this at your discretion. Matter of fact, this call to prayer wasn't even optional. It, if you read it, it is a moral imperative. They always ought to pray. What the Lord is saying here, it's wrong to give up at life's quitting points. We must always pray our way through. This is hard for us because when we find ourselves at points where we want to quit, the last thing it seems that we want to do is to pray. But this is the actual resolution to it all. Of course, it's not an easy thing to do. It requires diligence. It requires effort. But nevertheless, the imperative says we always ought to pray. Well, how long should we pray? I've been praying all this time. I've been praying about this matter. I've been praying about my family. I've been praying about the election. I've been praying about this. And I've been praying. And it did not turn out. Pray until something happens. That's how long we pray. When we talk about uh, a struggle and we say, oh, it's killing me and I can't do anything about it. Whenever we're talking to people, they say, oh, I got this thing that's going on in my life. It's killing me and there's nothing I can do. I say, hallelujah, you're halfway there. Because once you realize you can't do nothing about it, you realize you need somebody to do something about it. Now, this is when we have finally entered into a place where we can pray. Persistent prayer is taught all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Meaning, what does he say in 1 Thessalonians? Pray without ceasing. Does that mean we get down on our hands and knees and continue to pray nonstop? No, but it, it does mean that we don't do nothing without praying. We don't take action without praying. We don't take a step without praying. Praying, we don't make decisions without praying. Everything that we do in our life is saturated in prayer. Jesus illustrates the priority and the power of prayer with another parable here in verses 2 through 5. In this parable, we have a widow in need of help, and the judge she has to go to says, it says here in verse 2, um, it's saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, Neither regarded man. What a list of credentials for the person that you have to go to for help. He don't fear God and he doesn't disregard mankind. This kind of a person is a person that we even see today. We seen them just arrested last year on a city council. They will do for you what you put in their pocket. They don't care for you. They don't care for God. Their God is themselves. What can you do for them? And this is the judge that this woman is going to. There was a widow in that city that kept coming to him saying, give me 
justice against my adversary. You see this in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I fear not God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, so to say, I will give her justice so that she will not continue to bother me with her continual coming. He, he was tired of it. He said, listen, every time I turn around, this lady is continually coming, and she's making me weary and driving me mad by her continual coming to me for her aid, for her enemies to be avenged. This intriguing parable has two main characters. First, there is a judge whom Jesus describes as a man who neither feared God nor respected man. This is a stinging indictment. It also tells us that what this judge was, wasn't even qualified to be a judge. Why? Because Proverbs teaches us that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool despises wisdom and instruction. And one who did not fear God, how could he properly administer God's law to man? It is still simple in the Old Testament, a new like. If you don't love God and you can't, if you cannot love your neighbor, you cannot truly love God. In fact, many people act as if these two right here should never be joined in one sense. There are many people who think that one's theology can be separated from one's ethics, but yet Jesus joined them both together here. He married them too by telling us that this crooked judge, lack of reverence for God, corresponded with his lack of respect for people. You see, his ethics joined his theology. Furthermore, this poor woman had an adversary who she could not handle on her own. This most likely means that she was entangled in a financial dispute, but to realize she had an adversary. This means she didn't even have a husband. The fact that she came before the judge means she didn't have a husband. She didn't have a son. She had no one to stand up for her on her behalf. Yet she was the one that came to the judge. Worst of all, she was helpless. This, she was in desperate condition and the, under the jurisdiction of an unscrupulous judge who neither fear God nor respected man. Don't miss this. Let me say it again. Worst of all, this helpless, desperate widow happened to live under the jurisdiction of an unscrupulous judge who neither fear God nor respected people. That was her condition. That was her life situation. She was under a corrupt leader Yet she kept speaking up. Yet she kept asking for help. She had no connections in the land. She had no powerful connections. She didn't even have the money to bribe him. Yet she kept speaking up. This widow did have something she could use to convince the judge to change his mind. And in one word, you could see it given forth. It's persistence. 
I mean, I could imagine the scene. The judge leaves his, this unjust judge leaves his office, and here's this lady standing out saying, avenge my adversary. He goes to take lunch, and he says, avenge my adversary. He goes home from work. He's saying, avenge my adversary. He leaves his house the next day, headed back to work, and here's this lady saying, avenge me, my adversary. He's trying to get back to his crooked schemes, but the only thing this lady can think about is this judge avenging her adversaries and at the end of the day she keeps bothering him and finally he put she, her pushing pers persistence wears him down and he agrees to hear the case and render justice i can almost hear him lady i'm gonna do this but after this leave me alone i don't want to see you back here don't come around here but today i'm gonna render justice this is the parable that Jesus tells to make the point that his disciples ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Prayer is the remedy for discouragement. Persistent prayer revives, revives the fainting heart. He drives this parable home in verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect? which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, the Son of Man cometh, and he shall find, shall he find faith on earth. This is what the Lord drives home. Let's wrestle with these implications of this parable really quickly. Consider the two big questions about the main characters of this parable, and you can help you understand why we ought to always pray and not to lose heart. This woman, she showed persistence, even in this corrupt judge. That persistence, she believed persistence going back would eventually sway this corrupt judge to hear her prayer. Yet in verse number 7, it says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Do you see the connection? This widow who had nothing believed that her persistence of seeking the corrupt judge would sway him to hear her prayer, and she was right. And the turn from the Lord in this to his disciples is, and shall not God avenge his elect if the unjust judge was moved by the persistence of this widow how much more would a just judge be moved by the persistence of his own elect how much more would god hear his prayers our prayers how much more is god moved by us god is just he's not unjust he doesn't need us to lie in his pockets we can't do nothing for him but in his own benevolent love he seeks to hear our prayers god is not like this crooked judge ultimately god is not even like us so in 18.5, the unjust judge hears the prayer so that he'll stop being troubled. In 18.7, God hears our prayers so his children will stop being troubled. You see the difference? We must understand that God's response, though in timing, is not like our desires. God is never late for answering our prayers. God is never late. His timing is always perfect. 
You may say, well, it doesn't feel like it's perfect in our life. <laughs> well, for Noah, it was on time. He met Noah a hundred years earlier and gave him time to build the ark before destruction. But yet for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his timing was when he arrived in the fire. And even more for Mary and Martha when they said unto the Lord, you're four days late, yet his timing was perfect. He was right on time. And so it is even for us. We see the crookedness of this land. We see things that bother us. We see things on relational levels. We see things that trouble us on moral levels. And we pray and we say, how long should we pray? And we should pray persistently until God answers. This is what the Lord says. If the unjust judge can be moved by persistency, then cannot the just judge be moved by that? God knows how to act. He knows where to act. He knows when to act. Are we like the persistent widow with our situations that trouble us? I was faced with that this afternoon as I was bothered by this thing that we had been discussing. I was disgusted too, both. Am I like this persistent widow? Do I really believe that God can fix this thing that bothered me? Do I really believe by continually putting it before God that it affects him, that he hears my prayer, that prayer moves the sovereign arm of omnipotence, that God will hear us and act? If I really believe it, then I should also have persistence in prayer over the matter. And if I don't have persistence in prayer over the matter, then again, it is a statement of my faith that I do not believe that God can handle the matter. Now, come on, brother, well, you forgot. Well, then does it really bother me in the manner that I say it does? We have a just judge. This widow had an unjust judge, yet she continually went back. I was saying to myself, why would this widow continue to go back to this unjust judge. I mean, if you know he's crooked, why would you keep going back? Why would you keep going back to this crooked judge? And the reality hit me that this judge was sovereign in the matter of her life. He was the sovereign of her society of that day. He was the only one that could answer her problems. He was the only one that could fix her problems. And even though he was unjust, the reality settled in that she probably believed just like we say we do, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he moveth like the rivers of water whithersoever he will. She believed that persistency in this matter would change. So with these matters of life that we face, where we know it's corrupt, where we know it's wrong, we must have the persistency of this widow. In verse 3, she says, Avenge me, my adversary. This is very hitting home for us. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me, my adversary. This should strike home for all of us. In the reality of this, this widow had an enemy. We all have an enemy. 
But this widow had an enemy that she knew she could not face alone. She could not avenge her adversary by herself. And she recognized it. And she knew it. And yet she knew she needed the judge's help to fix this problem. This is the reality that we need to get to in our life. The adversaries that we face in our life, we cannot face alone. We need the righteous judge's help to make it through in these situations. There is a temptation that we see today to live without God as the center of our life. The urging of the world is to fix the problems of our life without God being at the helm. This belief, this thought process is our spiritual enemy's weapon of mass destruction. The adversary wants you to think you can do this on your own. So he constantly schemes and prays to undermine our faith in God. In fact, the enemy wants us to believe that God is a crooked judge, so he won't even pray. And if you don't pray, we know that the enemy is assured the victory. However, however, that is not where the Lord left it. If we are in Christ, we are not desperate like this widow. In here, Jesus says to them, he said in the verse 7, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? This is a beautiful thing. Jesus again brings them back to this reality of this relationship that they have with God through him. You see, the problem with the widow was she had no favor with the judge. The problem with the widow is she had no relationship with the judge. For him, you were just another person. He neither feared God nor he cared about these people. But what the Lord brings back to the disciples is the reason that you have hope in this life, the reason that you opt to pray so that you don't faith is because you have divine favor with the judge. You don't have to worry about what you're bringing to the table. He cares for you. And the predicament for the Christian is much different than the widow. See, for us, prayer is not a scheduled appointment with a busy business executive. It's a quality time with our loving Father. You and I have complete access to God through faith in Christ. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The widow didn't have nobody to speak on her behalf. Not a husband, not a father, not a son, not no one. But you and I, this elect that Jesus reminds them of, we have a mediator who incedes, intercedes on our behalf before God. What is the point of it all? The reality is, is that we cannot solve the issues of the land. I had to tell myself that about 15 times this afternoon. I cannot solve the issues of why my family has not come to Christ, though I wish I could make them. I cannot solve the broken relationships, though I wish I could mend them. 
I wish I could prevent people who have morally fell. I wish I could. But the fact is this, that we are weak and that we are limited and we are sinful and that we are in desperate need of God's help to do a work for him on this earth. And he has made a provision to help us. And he has given us provision. And you know what it is? It is the wonderful privilege of prayer. What will we do in this life? Will our love grow cold? Will we endure to the end? Can we endure to the end? Yes, we can endure to the end if we will only pray and not lose heart. The parable, the answer to the entire parable is literally summarized in that verse. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, meaning to this meaning, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. We cannot bear nor fix the issues of this life. We can't. And if you try to bear it, it'll crush you. If you try to bear it, it will literally send you in a downward spiral of thinking, trying to figure out how you can fix the issues of this land. You can't. None of us can. But if we don't want to faint in being overwhelmed in these matters, then we ought always to pray. That's the command. That's the uh, divine command from God. The way to prevent fainting in this Christian life in such a corrupt land is to pray and seek God's face. Let's, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, may we in this life, in this week, realize that in service to you, Lord, that we have such a great salvation, but that we have such a great relationship, that we have such a wonderful time of communion with you, and that the opposite of bearing burdens in this life is casting them upon you. Lord, I pray that we see the power that exists in prayer, that we believe in it, that we take time to take our burdens to you and see this, this great relief that we have in knowing that you are sovereignly in control. And that when the timing so seems correct according to the counsel of your own will, you will so answer and respond to our request. Yet in the meanwhile, may we recognize as we wait in peace, as it seems that the world is continually spiraling down, as we wonder even for the ones we love, as we see them fighting the ailments of their health, Wondering, is this the last day? Is tomorrow the last day? Will they cry out to you before their last breath? While all of those things seem to vex us, may we be reminded that your timing is always on time and that all is working to the counsel of your will. Lord, I pray that we move in faith and that we recognize that this relief that we have in you of communion with you is what's going to prevent us from fainting and failing in this life. May we live a life of dependence upon you. May we live a life of leaning on the everlasting arm. We give thanks and praise to you for all that you've done, Lord. I thank you for this Lord's day that we've had. Lord. I pray that we've been fed from your word. I pray that you'll strengthen us for this week, Lord 
that you have a, a desire burning in our hearts to see souls saved, to see people added to the church, to see ministry grow here, Lord. May we have a burning desire as we encounter people that we may ask ourselves, is this the next Sunday school teacher? Is this the next spouse of this person? Is this the next member of the Witten Place Baptist Church? Lord, Lord, may our eyes and hearts ever be committed to the work in which you've called us to. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We praise you and lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen.